listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to John's Gospel, chapter 1. If you have uh, looked at your watch, you know how fast you're going to need to listen for these next few moments this morning. Amen. Uh, Let me also uh, say that uh, on our app, if you have not yet downloaded the app, let me encourage you to do that. It's a great connection point uh, for First Baptist Church Van Alstein, the life of the church and all that God is doing here. Uh, Part of the main menu there is the Joshua Project uh, that will take you to uh, some more detailed information and things. You can find some of that same information on our website at fbcva.com. And uh, we want you to be well informed. And uh, while there are still some Uh, Some questions. Uh, I know one of the questions we get is about, what what about our current facilities? Well, I can assure you that there are some things in the works related to our current facilities. Some things uh, we can't share with you in great detail because it just wouldn't be appropriate to do that at this point. But uh, things are happening. God is moving. God is working. Uh, And also, as a point of clarification, that $800,000, that uh, obviously is our uh, this season goal, I guess you might say, includes... Uh, those of us who pledged a couple of years ago, going ahead and fulfilling uh, our pledge uh, that we made uh, in 2019. And so uh, if that's you, I want to encourage you to uh, maybe look at where you are. Maybe you can say, well, at this point, uh, God's been gracious to us. God's provided in ways we didn't anticipate, and we can, we can do more. Uh, there are a lot of different ways. Uh, if we really stop and pray about it, think about it, Uh, that we can maybe give up something, Uh, maybe we can uh, defer making a purchase. I sometimes get teased about driving my 2002 Ford Focus wagon, Um, as cool as that car is, okay? Um, My kids call it my swag wagon, Um, um, but... uh, It's pretty amazing how God can use a goofy car... Uh, to work in your sanctification. Um, that's part of my story. Um, I'm grateful for the car. Don't, don't misunderstand. I, I certainly am. And I'm certainly not saying anything right now to toot my own horn. But that's just one of the ways that God has enabled us to give a little more um, to the Joshua Project. And so um, I may call on one of you to help me push it um, at some point. I don't know. But uh, at any rate, uh, God's been gracious. I don't think Ford Focus wagons are intended to go 220,000 miles, but that one has, so it's a, it's a miracle, okay? <laughs> but anyway, let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 1 this morning. John chapter 1, together we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14, primarily focusing our attention in these few moments on the first five verses. And we are turning our attention to, to Advent, naturally, uh, to the Christmas season and what that means. And our series is entitled Among Us. And when I... Uh, I let the staff know that that was the sermon series. Jace accused me of uh, trying to be a hip and cool pastor appealing to the Gen Zers who uh, play the multiplayer game Among Us. In fact, I told my 11-year-old daughter my sermon series for Christmas was going to be Among Us, and she's like, cool, Dad. I'm like, but it didn't have anything to do with the game, okay? That would be sus. Some of you got that. Some of you got that. Um, it would be suspect, right? No, it is very much about what John writes here in the 14th verse of John chapter 1 where it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. One writer said it this way, God moved into the neighborhood. It quite literally means he tabernacled 
among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Well, let's pick it up in verse number one. And we're going to read down to that 14th verse together this morning. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so our thinking, our hearts will be drawn here in this uh, Christmas season to John's prologue to his gospel. Imagine for a moment that the four gospels are each great pieces of music. We might say that uh, the gospels of Matthew and Luke begin with themes that sound much like a lullaby. They recount the nativity, the incarnation, the birth, the infancy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark's gospel, on the other hand, begins with with some fanfare. It is the ministry of John the Baptist, known as the forerunner, announcing the coming of Jesus Christ. And then John's gospel here begins neither with a, a lullaby nor the trumpet blasts of a herald necessarily, although he certainly references John the Baptist in his ministry. It begins with what I would describe as a soaring choral anthem. It's as if he he takes us to the pinnacle of doxology. It doesn't tell us so much about the physical birth of Christ, neither does it talk about as much John the Baptist's ministry. No, John plunges us into, into what can be described as the ocean depths of mystery talking to us about the the unity of the triune God and the two natures, divine and human, that are found in the person of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. So he starts with the most profound of statements to make absolutely sure that whatever else we may think about the birth of Jesus Christ as we contemplate his first coming at Christmas time, that you get this much, that we get this much, that Jesus Christ is a man like no other. And holy awe, stunned and reverent before the mystery of the God-man, that should mark every one of our responses to him in this Christmas season. If you think about it, if that's not the case, if we're not driven to worship, then we might be tempted to dismiss his birth as irrelevant. Many people do today. They see this as just some big grand party, and they might, they might add Jesus as some sort of postscript. Oh yeah, the reason for all the lights and the tinsel and all the things that we enjoy during this season, the gift giving and receiving and all of those things, and I enjoy all those things. Many would just say, oh yeah, and it's also about the birth of Jesus or something like that. We don't want to do that. In fact, we really stop and think about it. There's, there's nothing weaker, nothing more ordinary than the birth of yet another baby. 
particularly a peasant child born in impoverished circumstances thousands of years ago. We might also try to assimilate the story of the coming of Christ into a larger narrative that is marked by just Christmas sentimentality. You know, a story about a baby in a manger to just go along with the decorations and the lights. But as we consider together in this season the incarnation, God coming in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, John is telling us here in his prologue that we have in fact come to the brink of absolute glory. To mystery, to majesty made flesh. So let's focus in these few moments our attention on the first five verses of John's Gospel, chapter 1. I want you to notice, first of all, that Jesus is the divine Word. In your Bible, the word Word, Logos, is the word in the original language. It should be capitalized for good reason. And if it's not, it should be. The Word is eternal. I want you to look at John's language carefully and notice the verb that he uses. It says, in the beginning was the Word. When the beginning began, the Word already always was. But then if you compare that with the 14th verse that we've looked at already a couple of times now, in the beginning was the Word. His existence was a given when all other things came into being. It, it was. But then verse 14 says, the Word became. Became flesh and dwelled among us. And so at the dawn of creation, the Word already existed. But in the middle of that creation's history, the Word that had always been became that which He had never been before. The Word became flesh. When the virgin conceived of the Holy Spirit and bore a son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, that was not the beginning of Jesus. That was not the beginning of the Word. The Word there became flesh. But think of this. Before Mary herself ever drew her first breath, the Word who became flesh, whom she bore and brought into the world, already always was and filled the universe with His glory. When the clock first began to tick, the Word had lived for an eternity. The Word is not a creature, John is telling us here, that is bound by time or nature to a beginning or to an ending. The Word was already in the beginning. I want you to notice, John makes it clear that the Word is identical with God. Doesn't take a lot of imagination to see the connection of John chapter 1 here to Genesis chapter 1 as we think back to the first words of Holy Scripture. In the beginning, God. Here, John says, In the beginning was the Word, the God who presided over creation. He now tells us is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Literally, the God was the Word. The only God there is, is the same God as the Word. The being that God is, is the same being that the Word is. And so that the one who took on flesh and dwelled among us, moved into the neighborhood at Christmas time, we think of this, would be the maker and sustainer of all. What a miracle. What a miracle is the birth of Jesus Christ. That's what John's telling us here. 
The only God who was there took flesh, nursed at Mary's breast, made his home in Nazareth, sat by the well in Samaria, according to John chapter 4, thirsty and tired. The God who preceded creation and who fills all things in every way walked the dusty streets of Palestine. The one who slept on the boat that night during the storm as the waves crashed over their tiny vessel and the disciples trembled in fear. Who was he? Who, with the word, with a word, could still the wind and the waves? This man, this God-man, is the great I Am, the Lord God Himself, the one in whose hands the nails were hammered and into whose face humanity screamed out their curses and their insults. This is the God of all glory. While the word is identical with God, I want you to notice that the word is distinct from God. Jesus tells us that the word is distinct from God. Identical with God, yet distinct from God. Verse number one again says, the word was with God. The word literally, the word is toward God. Each turned toward the other in the infinite, endless exchange of love that characterizes the fellowship of the Trinity itself. The Father delighting in the Son, and the Son in the Father, and the Spirit in the Father, and in the Son. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. I wish there was some way that I could possibly with words explain to you and explain even to myself so that I could fully understand the majesty and the mystery of the triune God. That's what John wants us to see here. Not three gods, one God. Not one person, three persons dwelling forever in the communion of the Trinity. And so as we come to the manger, so to speak, and we gaze at the Christ child during this season, when we dare stare into the manger of Bethlehem, we are staring into indescribable mystery. Now what should we do? How should we respond? It's an important question, don't you think? I believe that we are hardwired for awe and wonder. For awe and wonder. I'll never forget the first time that I saw the Grand Canyon. I was a high school age kid at the time. I was with a group of high school age kids, some of my best friends in the world at that time. And, and I'll never forget it. Of course, like anybody else, I had seen pictures of the Grand Canyon. I'd seen video footage of the Grand Canyon and, and all that and, and, and certainly knew that it was an, an amazing thing to see. But I, I'll never forget as I walked up to the literally the rim of the Grand Canyon and I saw it my, myself for myself, for the first time, I, I, I was just left speechless. Like, like there's, there's no way to really describe this. Years later, I took a group of students myself. I was the sponsor, and one of the guys that was with us, kind of a country bumpkin, he kind of walked up to me and he said, Brother Mike, there's a big ditch. <laughs> it's much more than a big ditch. And to just think something as magnificent as the Grand Canyon, something as beautiful as the Grand Canyon, hard to describe with, with words, is just a small piece, really, of the, the creation that God has, has allowed us to enjoy. That's how amazing our God is. But there's this instinctive reaction to glory and beauty and mystery that is, that is in many ways overwhelming to us. We're hardwired for, for glory, for beauty, for awe. 
We were made for wonder, and that's John's purpose as he takes us to the mysteries of the Trinity and the union of deity and humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. He wants to show us not some artificial glory, not some neon post-industrial beauty. No, he wants to show us ultimate beauty, ultimate mystery, eternal glory, that we might bow down in holy awe and give ourselves in adoration and praise to the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. So what do we do in this season as we consider the Christ child, the God-man, the eternal divine word? Hopefully you find yourself, even in your heart, prostrating yourself before him in surrender and submission and in praise. This season for each and every one of us should be marked by worship. By worship. I want you to notice secondly this morning, we're moving quickly now, Jesus is the creative Word. Verses 3 and 4. In the beginning was the Word. All things, it goes on to say in verses 3 and 4, were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made. Notice again the parallel to, to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so John is here filling in some of the details of the, of the creation story. Here is the one by whom God spoke all things into being. He was the divine word, the eternal son, the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. That means Jesus is the mediator and the agent of creation. His fingerprints, the record of his mind imprinted upon all things that he has made. So does the work of Jesus displayed everywhere that you look in all that is beautiful and bright and glorious. You see something of the mind of Christ. And while the creation is certainly not to be abused, it is also not to be worshipped. No, it's to be studied as a window into the beauty and the majesty and the incomparable wisdom of the Lord God and of His Son, Jesus Christ. We're to see afresh God's love for the world. Christmas, the Christmas story, the coming of Jesus. It's not offered to us to, to be the spiritual equivalent of like a Christmas tree, something to bring a little cheer into your gloom or to distract you from the brokenness of the world. No, actually John is telling us in his prologue that the coming of Jesus Christ is to remind us of God's creative work by His Son. Not to distract us from the world, but to teach us again of His love for the world. And with that, I want you to notice thirdly this morning, Jesus is the illuminating light. The illuminating word. Verses 4 and 5. Jesus came to bring illumination. A few years ago, it uh, became popular in uh, particularly academic theological circles to talk about the Christ event. The Christ event. It's a terrible phrase. The Christ event. Uh, in the beginning was the event. Uh, in the event was the deed. Now, what is the problem with that way of phrasing it? It is that events and deeds need interpreting. They are unclear as modes of communication. What John is telling us here in his gospel is that when God sought to reach and to seek and to save the lost, to call us out, to bring us to himself, he did it in a crystal clear, sharp, precise communication. He sent his son to make the father known. 
Which means that it is threadbare devotion to Jesus Christ. If our Christmas devotion is not saturated and steeped and shaped and directed by Scripture. So some sentimental nod in the direction of Jesus, it just won't do. He is the Word, and He calls for us to be people of the Word. Will you make your response to Christ's first coming a renewed commitment to becoming a people of the book, of the Word? And as we close, I want to highlight just one last thing about Jesus, the Word. If in Christ, God is speaking... If the incarnation is, in fact, God calling out and talking and communicating to a world lost in darkness and sin, do you see what that means? It is an index of the commitment of the heart of God to reach sinful people like you and me. It's a mystery. Here are the lengths to which He would go to call you back to Himself. He would send His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, to bear your reproach and my reproach, to obey where you could never hope to obey, and then to die the death that you and I deserve to die and purchase for us full, free forgiveness. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of Christmas. Here's God's Word and God's call to us. Here in the measure of His desire to win us and make us His own. And His word to us, His call, His invitation is His Son, Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and reigning. So I wonder, as God speaks to us this season in the person of Jesus Christ, I wonder if we're listening if we'll answer the call and come with renewed devotion to bend our knee to the Lord Jesus Christ in full submission. He is the divine Word and He is the creative Word and He is the illuminating Word who brings the light of life. So my prayer for you, my prayer for us in this season is that the Lord be gracious to give us Christ this Christmas. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.